From Church on Morgan, a United Methodist congregation whose desire is to be a reminder of the beauty of God and each other. This podcast is a collection of Sunday teachings inspired by the Revised Common Lectionary and recorded weekly in Raleigh, North Carolina. And now, a moment of silence before this episode begins. Thanks, Kylie. Uh, It is a real gift to get to be with you all this morning, um, particularly in this capacity. As Kylie said, I serve as the executive director of this little movement or this little baby organization called the Post-Evangelical Collective. And really what we're trying to do is reimagine a more beautiful way to follow Jesus, to do that together as the redemptive, beloved community of Christ, to reimagine what the church could look like. And the Church on Morgan has actually been sort of a flagship church in that process. Uh, We've looked to what's happening here and to other churches like this that have helped shape really where this is headed. And so that's how I met Justin, and it's been fun to be friends with him and to be with you all sort of as a guest, but now I'm here like as as a family member with you, and I'm delighted delighted by that. Um, I have a nine-year-old son and a 14-year-old daughter, and it was just a real gift to us in this move to be able to have like church family already and feel like we are a part of this family. In fact, it's part of why we moved here, was to be a part of this community. So I am thrilled to be with you all. Um, when Justin asked me to preach a couple weeks ago, I was like, oh, I was honored to. I was thrilled at the idea. And then as the last eight days or so have unfolded, I just found myself terrified. And part of that is just because of my own story. Um, I have spent more than a decade actually engaged in peacemaking efforts in the Middle East. And so when I hear about what's happening and I read the headlines, I have like the faces of humans whose homes I've sat in, uh, and refugee camps in Bethlehem, and um, friends that live in Israel, and friends who have lost children in the conflict but are meeting together across enemy lines to say, no, we're not gonna continue to perpetuate violence. And so as I read the headlines, these very real faces and names come to mind for me. So it's been a tender week. And as I'm making new friends here, uh, I'm, I'm just learning, you know when you sit across from somebody as you get to know them, you sort of witness yourself a little, and I was having beers with a friend last week, and as I was telling him my story, I was like, oh my gosh, I just have to pause, I am so intense, aren't I? <laughs> And he had a good laugh about it because I was in the middle of telling him, you know, stories of how you grew up. And and the third grade was when I started my first petition because all of us have like our first petition story, right? This is a part of your story. And then when I was nine years old, I became a vegetarian. It was my first act of embodied resistance, okay? I just told you I have a nine-year-old and I feel so terrible for my mom. Like if my nine-year-old sat down at the dinner table and was like, I am refusing to eat the meat that you have prepared, I really don't know what I would do. Um, By the time I was in fifth grade, I was leading my first revolution. So I just, I want you to know what you're getting yourself into this morning, because particularly when I'm passionate, my intensity can come out. And I know as we open the text, that may happen. And I want you to know it's because this is something I so deeply care about. And I hope all of us can sort of dive into that um, with a posture of openness this morning. I want to dive into the text that comes from Exodus 32, and I'll read it for you, uh, verses 1 through 14. 
When the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off your gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he then built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Keep in mind, this is their new Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in every revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I will destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that God brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land. I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. And then the Lord relented and did not bring on the people the disaster he had threatened. When I sat with this text, I thought about the different ways that I have heard it taught in the past. I don't know if you grew up in church and something comes up for you, but when I thought about the ways I had heard this unpacked, I recalled ways that this text had been used to talk about uh, disobedience, not obeying God or not faithfully following God. And if I'm honest, sometimes it was taught with a little bit of a posture of like self-righteousness. Like if I had been there and had a front row seat to the miracle after miracle of God's deliverance, being freed from slavery, being liberated from Egypt, living on daily bread, the manna that was provided, there's no way I would have turned my back on God, right? Like it was a little bit of a self-righteous sort of view. And I found it really interesting to think about that and then to think about how God has been inviting me to look at the text differently, how I've been experiencing God differently in my own life. Then I sat with, how desperate would these people have been? What were they needing to have experienced all that they had experienced and to still be willing to settle for a counterfeit God? 
I thought of the times I have found myself so desperate to hear from God or for God to move in an impossible situation or for God to just show up in something and I actually had empathy for these people for the first time. Can you imagine, like what were the things that they were longing for to want to settle, to be willing to settle for a counterfeit God to worship? Were they, were they desperate for security or safety or comfort or direction? Like what was it that they were longing for that they just got so tired of waiting for Moses to come back and speak on behalf of God that they were like, just make us an idol that we can bow down to and worship? And I had empathy for what must have been happening in them. And, and it made me wonder, like, how long was Moses gone at this point? Was it like a couple hours? Was he gone overnight? Was he gone for weeks or months or years? We don't actually know how long they had been waiting. My kids do not like to wait for long. Like Amazon has really warped their thinking about how long we wait for things. My son will order something and then want to pull up my phone and be like, do you think it's going to be here by dinner, mom? Recently, um, I had to leave a couple hours for work and I had left them like some food prepared and snacks and I came home just a few hours later and it looked like a dorm room had exploded in my house, okay? I know some of you have little kids and you can't leave them at home alone yet and I want you to know the time is coming that you will be able to be free even just for a couple hours. So I came back, it looked like a college dorm room had exploded, there were like candy wrappers everywhere, snack wrappers everywhere, like they thought they were wolves and were gonna have to like forage for food, okay, after a couple of hours, they had a list for me of all the snacks that I needed to replace. And I just thought, man, how, how long? How long had the Israelites been waiting for Moses to return and bring a word from the Lord? What was it inside of them that they were so desperate for? And I found myself all week thinking about the events that I'm seeing play out, thinking about the headlines, thinking, how long, Lord? How long are we supposed to wait for your redemption and your restoration? Like how long can we sit in this? Do you see what's happening? Where are you, God? And then I began to think about some of the counterfeit gods that we might be tempted to grasp for in this particular cultural moment. And I thought about my Christian brothers and sisters and, and family members that might even hold to a different brand of faith than me. And I just wanted to share some reflections of things I think that we could be tempted to reach for, to, to settle for as we're waiting for God to move. The first one that I would just want to propose to you is that it could be tempting for us to reach for a counterfeit God like simplicity in the midst of such a complex time. I don't know if you have people in your life that really want to sort of look at what's happening and, and just imagine that there's a right and a wrong, that there's like, we're going to be on the side of right in this. I don't know how you're experiencing this very, very complex situation happening in the Middle East, but I think for Christians, my hope is that we could expand our capacity for complexity and not reach for simplicity, that we could actually name things like what Hamas is doing right now is not okay. We denounce the violence. We grieve the loss of life. That we could be people who understand our Israeli brothers and sisters, our Jewish family have been facing persecution in ways that we cannot even fathom. That we can denounce that history, that we could honor the sacredness of their lives. 
and that we can also understand the history of what has been inflicted on Palestinian people who are not Hamas and say this is not okay, there is a humanitarian crisis happening right now. I think it could be tempting for us to grasp for this counterfeit God of simplicity and in the midst of a very complex time. My hope is that we wouldn't settle for simplicity in the midst of such a complex conflict. I think another thing that we could be tempted to reach for in moments like this is some sense of security or safety, right? We're watching terror play out right now and every single life lost matters. And it could be tempting for us to reach for things like being on the right side of this or the military protection that we have or how what's happening over there doesn't happen, doesn't impact me or what's happening here, but our flourishing is bound up in the flourishing of every single human and this world that we're watching be decimated in this moment. May we not settle for binary right-wrong answers because they give us a false sense of safety or security. And family, may we not be tempted to just look away and grasp for things that would help us as individuals in the moment just feel safe and secure, right? Like what will help us disassociate or disconnect or numb the pain that we're seeing? May we not just reach for safety and security. The last thing I thought about when I was empathizing with the things that the Israelites may have been reaching for or or empathizing with things that I'm tempted to reach for and that I, I see play out on social media right now. It's this idea that we could actually settle for a counterfeit God of just spiritually bypassing what's actually going on. I don't know if anyone has tried to offer you platitudes or cliches or I have seen people theorizing and theologizing what's happening right now in a geopolitical way with some passage from the scripture trying to justify what's happening. And I have to say, no, 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 this is not the way of Jesus. If we're gonna move towards hope in hard circumstances like this, we can't just get there by sort of spiritually bypassing and whitewashing what's happening. We have to be willing to name the hard. We have to be able to enter into the harrowing realities that so many people are facing right now. I had a friend call me this week. He was a Christian, and he would say he is not a Christian anymore. And he said, Carrie, I know you have some experience in Israel-Palestine, like the history and, and the different people groups. Like, Can you give me some rundown of what's happening? Because everybody I know is carrying the weight of this right now. He said, my coworkers and my neighbors, but nobody knows how to talk about it. Nobody wants to say the wrong thing, right? There's an acknowledgement of the complexity. And he said, I wonder if you can help me understand it a little bit. And then I wonder if you can tell me, how do you even believe in God when you watch this stuff happen? And as we talked about it, I had to make it very clear to him in this conversation, the angry, vengeful God that would use violence and would someone would say this is predestined, a sort of apocalyptic thing that's playing out. That God, I do not believe in that God. A God that would enforce his will on us, I do not believe in that God. A God that would use violence to get to an ends that would justify the means of life lost, I do not believe in that God. The God that we see embodied in the person of Jesus 
the God that offers us a subversive way of being in this world that would say violence, even up until the night that he's crucified, violence is not the answer. You don't understand what's happening. This is not the way to establish God's kingdom of healing and redemption and restoration that would lead to flourishing. God's original intentions in the very beginning, that's where we're headed in the way of Jesus, the way to get there, to partner with God and the redemption and the restoration of the world cannot happen through retributive violence. It can only happen with this self-sacrificing, life-laying down, enemy-loving way of being in this world. And I do sense there's some sort of invitation for us in that if I, if I believe my flourishing is bound up in the flourishing of my brothers and sisters and all that's happening on their soil right now, then I have to believe how we show up in our very ordinary everyday lives right now with our partners and our neighbors and our coworkers and our enemies, that that matters. I think for us to follow the one true God, there's this invitation for us to enter into the complexity, for us to explore what it looks like to set aside our security or our safety, to refuse to spiritually bypass what's happening and to trust that perhaps in this moment, God grieves with us. That it's okay to lament what's happening. That perhaps if I'm blowing your mind right now trying to name in a delicate way the nuances and the complexity, maybe you want to learn and lean in. Maybe you want to listen. I put a, a program in your program notes, a link to a podcast with an organization that is doing very delicate work in an attempt to be pro-Israeli, pro-Palestinian, pro-peace very nuanced and very complex, and there's all sorts of resources out there, but my hope is that we would not just look away because we can, that we would lean in, that we would be people who are willing to learn, who are willing to lament, who are willing to wrestle and struggle with what it means to steward whatever influence we hold on behalf of the oppressed, to pursue together what justice and flourishing can look like. That we could be people that say violence is not the way to peace. Justice is a path to peace and violence never gets us to justice, never gets us to peace. This is a moment for us as Christ followers to lean into this. And I don't want to end without pointing towards hope, but I want to be really honest with you. I really struggled this week. Is there any hope I can offer? Do I actually believe that there is possibility of hope in this situation? And I want to leave you with some words found in Isaiah from the prophet Isaiah, who perhaps in this time was experiencing some similar war and violence and terror and had the audacity to make this proclamation. Isaiah 25, verses 4 through 9. To God, you have been a refuge for the poor a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is stilled. 
On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted him and he saved us. When you're on the lookout for hope, as I have found myself this week in the midst of so much death and devastation, the only practice I could offer you was to look for signs of life, to not stop believing that life and redemption and restoration are possible, to not look away, to be willing to lean in and lament, to name the very difficult, harrowing realities for people, and yet to believe that life and redemption and restoration can exist on the other side. I have found that in moments of seeking and searching for beauty, And my deepest prayer is that we would lean into this moment, family, that we would be part of that more beautiful way of Christ in this world. Thank you for joining today. If this episode has been meaningful to you, would you take a moment to share it with a friend? To support this ministry or learn more about our community, visit us at churchonmorgan.org.